Lord, we come before you and we have our hearts open to you. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that your Holy Spirit would minister and that we wouldn't leave until the work is accomplished in our hearts that you desire to accomplish in us this morning. Father, will you please minister to Betty, to Hannah, Sarah, Kelly, to Ben, the rest, Lord, would you minister to them today? And just, Lord, you are the comforter. When we look forward to seeing your ministry happen through this body, and Lord, just supernaturally. So this morning, as we come to the scriptures, Lord, we ask that you would meet us where we are in our storms of life. And the pain and the suffering that we're experiencing, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear eternity. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. How many of you are relating with Jacob? A little bit. No one admits it. So you're all relating with him. Jacob, heel catcher, conniver, by nature, just a a real fun guy. He likes to manipulate people and circumstances to get his way. Everyone know anybody like that? If you don't, then we know who you are. I'm just kidding. <coughs> I'm just kidding. After 20 years of serving Laban, his uncle, often under unjust circumstances, anybody been in those circumstances serving in a long place for a long time under difficult circumstances, the Lord is now calling Jacob to go back home to the land that God had promised as an inheritance, the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. And so in chapter 31, which we were reading last week, Jacob decides to just pick up and leave after 20 years and not let Laban know what was going on. He just grabs everybody. He grabs his flocks, his herds, grabs his wives, his kids. He's out of there. He takes off. And Laban finds out and then starts pursuing him. And after seven days, he catches up with him. And the Lord intervened the night before he got up to him and said, Hey, Laban, don't you mess with this guy. He's my, he's my guy. For all his warts and problems, he's my man. Don't mess with him. Don't speak good nor evil to him. Don't go from good to bad, actually, is, is how it is. And so Laban and Jacob, they meet and they decide to uh, draw some boundaries between themselves. And they set up this pillar. And Laban calls it one thing, and Jacob calls it, uh, I believe, Mizpah in in. It says, because he said, uh, may the Lord keep watch between you and me while we are away from each other. You ever seen those necklaces that say mitzvah on it? It's a little heart, and it says mitzvah, and it's broken. You can give the other half to someone else. Hey, may the Lord watch over you till we come back together. That's not the sentiment we're looking for here. It's basically, I don't trust you, stay away. So if I ever get one of those, I know what's going on. But I don't trust you. And so they set up this thing. It said, you can't cross over this way unless you mean for good, and I won't cross over that way unless we mean for good. So just on Thanksgiving, and I don't even know if that's good or not. So they're having issues there. They separate their ways. So Jacob is at this crossroads in life. He can't go back where he came from. God told him to step out and go forward and go back home. Who's back at home? Who did he run away from in the beginning? Esau. He can't go back to Laban. And God's telling him to go back to the land of his his mother and his father. But he has to go through Esau's territory, the, the land of the Edomites, which would become the land of the Edomites. And there's a problem. There's some unfinished business. 
that has to be taken care of. And God is leading Jacob towards reconciliation with his brother. How many of you enjoy that? After 20 years of who knows what, God is calling this band. He's not going to let it go. He says, we're going to deal with this. After 20 years. And so God, that's what chapter 32 is kind of about, this struggle, this internal struggle that's happening within Jacob. And he's going to have to face Esau. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, as I've often mentioned, if we're worshiping and we know that there isn't something right between us and someone else, the Lord asks us to leave our gift at the altar, to go and be reconciled first to our brother, and then we can come back and worship. So basically, when we are not in good relationship with one another, it hinders our worship with God. And that is, doesn't that feel like the cross to you? Doesn't that feel like, Lord, can't we just not deal with this? Can't I just go away for 20 years? Can't this thing be... But see, what happens is I think that if I avoid something, then it gets resolved. In reality, I'm the one who's messed up inside. It's affecting me. It's affecting how I'm relating with others. And so, and also it's affecting that other person. The loving thing to do, the thing that Christ would do, is go approach someone who has been broken away from you. You see that picture? What did God do with us? Forgive and you will be forgiven, the Lord says. For if you don't forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. It's this motto. We're to model Christ. Boy, that goes against how many of us have been deeply hurt or have hurt others deeply and we're ashamed of approaching them and humbling ourselves. Now God's, he's not going to let this go. Reconciliation can be difficult, especially when you've been deeply offended. Proverbs eighteen nineteen. mark it, underline it. It says, a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. And some people said, amen. I agree with that. It's easier to take over a fortified city than to win an offended brother back. And Jesus would also say, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, but with God all things are possible. And we're not called to, the, to, to accomplish these things in our power. We're, uh, we're called to accomplish these things in the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, to do the impossible through us. So the Lord's leading Jacob to be reconciled with his brother 20, 20 years later. Chapter 32, verse 1, it says, Jacob, so he went on his way, leaving Laban behind, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. And so he named it uh, Mahananim. It means two camps. So Jacob, is, he's on his ways. His eyes have been opened to the reality of this angelic presence that's accompanying him. On his way back to this dangerous situation. His name, that he named it two camps. This is now two camps. My eyes are open to the reality that I'm not alone. That we're not going into this situation by ourselves. That there is a spiritual presence with us. There are angels following us. They're encamped watching over us. And it's really neat how Jacob is probably just fearing for his life, for the lives of his children in the circumstances that are ahead. And the Lord lets him, opens his eyes once again to the fact that, hey, I'm with you. I'm protecting you. I'm leading you. I'm guiding you. You can't see it every day, but I am here. And angels are, they're present 
for us as well. I'm often comforted that the Lord has assigned angels to watch over each of our kids. The Lord has assigned angels to watch over each of our kids. We often miss the scripture. Remember the scripture in Matthew 18? Jesus is laying out some foundational things about relationships. One of them is dealing with children. He says, you know, hey, it's better for you to have tied a millstone around your neck and be cast in the depths of the sea than you to offend these little ones. And we stop there. But he goes on. And he says, see that you do not despise, the very next verse, one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven that their angels always see. Our little kids, our kids have angels that are actually in the presence of the Father this moment. Our kids have angels. That, that brings me a little bit of relief that I don't have to be, uh, you know, all-consuming parent. And I need to release myself to that. That the Lord has put this protection over our kids. Do hard times come? Yes, but it does not necessarily come because Listen, bad things happen, obviously, but nothing that happens does not go through the hand of God. And I know that's a big issue, and it's a broad statement. But it's comforting to know that God is looking out. He does care. He is in our circumstances, in our lives, watching our kids when we face difficult circumstances ahead of us. And there's also angels for all of us, that book says, believe it or not, Hebrews. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels, they minister us, they serve us, they walk alongside of us in everyday circumstances. Right now, there are angels here, watching, wondering, what's going on? And we go, no, because we cannot see with our eyes. Jacob was awoken to the fact of the reality of what's really going on. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. He told of how one night hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters, intending on burning it and the Pattons out and killing them. He and his wife, they prayed through the entire night, and when daylight finally came, their attackers all left. A year later, the chief of the tribe that was going to attack them, became a Christian. And Patton asked the man about that night. The chief replied, Who were all those men you had there with you? And the missionary explained that only he and his wife were there. And the chief insisted he had seen hundreds of big men with shining garments and swords circling the mission's headquarters. And so the natives were afraid to attack. That night in New Hebrides Island, there certainly was a double camp. We have a double camp. The Lord is with us. He's present. And boy, how the enemy, he wants us to believe that there is no, there is no other, this is it. And the exact tr- opposite is true. We're kind of living in a shadow of eternity. The reality is Christ. And how he wants to tell us that there's no hope. This is all we're living for. How the, this, this, this body is, is it. It's, it's all going downhill, and we're going to pass away, and then there's no hope. Lies. Lies. No, God is here. He is present. He was with Terry when he passed. Angels were in that place. The Lord was surrounding. He was ministering, and he will continue to minister. He's with us in our difficulties of life. 
Lord, stir up the faith in us, not to worship angels, but to put our eyes upon the king who commands all armies and is working out his sovereign story. That was that uh, story about the missionaries from Billy Graham and the angels. The book is Angels, God's Secret Agents. And so know that we too are surrounded by another camp. And now uh, Jacob, he's obeying the Lord. He's going to return home And this is a step of faith for Jacob. It's a step of faith to go face that circumstance. That is hard. He's going to face the music. He can't run anymore. It's time to face his fear head on. Verse 3, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, and he instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have been, remained there until now. I have cattle, I have donkeys, I have sheep and goats and male and female servants. And now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So Jacob, he sends messengers to Esau and tells him that he wants peace. I'm not coming to get anything from you. I have, I'm coming for I have peace. I just want to pass through to go home. Hey, Esau, I'm your servant. I've been with our uncle until now. I'm rich. I'm told, I've got everything I could ever want. Because where did they leave it? Jacob was stealing his birthright, his inheritance. He's letting them know, I don't, want to, I don't want any of that stuff. I want peace with you. May I have your permission to pass through. So Jacob desires, he drives peace with his brother. And if you're writing, taking notes, write that down. Jacob desires peace with his brother. And verse 6 says, When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. In great fear, verse 7, and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. He decided to do his own two camps here. And the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And he thought, hey, if Esau comes and attacks one group, that group, the, the group that's left, may escape. Got 400 guys coming with my brother. We don't know what's going on. I'm going to divide it into two groups. What is Jacob doing? He's panicking. He desires peace. Or there's, there was a, a problem. Now there's, he desired peace, but now guess what's happening? He sees the circumstances and he's panicking. And for some reason, he forgot about the two camps that God just showed him, his camp and the angels accompanying him. And now he's looking at the possibility of danger ahead and he panics. And he decides to make it happen. He's got to act. He's got to do something. And so he makes his own camps thinking, hey, if I do this, if I have this strategy, then 50-50, we're gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll survive this way. And Jacob's making the decision based upon fear and his own wisdom. Now, we see in verse 9, Jacob, uh, he did, yes, after, he requests peace, and then he panics. And now finally, after these two, he does what we all should have done in the first place, right? Is resort to prayer. Then Jacob prayed, and he prays an awesome prayer. Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. Verse 10, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan. But now... I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me, and also the mother of their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants 
like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob, he finally resorts to prayer. Lord, you told me, you told me to go. This is where you told me to go. I'm panicking and now I'm, I'm praying. I'm unworthy of all, but help me, save me. You said, and if you notice, Jacob's prayer it was full of the word of God. David Guzik said, many of our prayers fall short because there is none of God's word within them. Often there is none of God's word in them because there's little of God's word in us. Jacob remembered what the Lord had said to him. This is awesome. Jacob took, he took the promises of God, the things that God had said him, and he was reminding God of them. God, you told me to go here. You, you said to go. Now, does God need convincing? Does God need convincing? What is the purpose of prayer? It's for us. Another tactic of the enemy is to go immediately to seeing a problem, starting to make your own plan, desiring peace, then panicking, and then we resort to prayer. Don't we? I mean, right here. <laughs> Captain, that's my, like, those are my bullet points. That's my mission plan for prayer. <clears throat> Last resort. Jacob, he took the promise that God gave him and he reminded him of God. Prayer is not about changing God's mind. It's about changing my mind. Prayer is not about changing God's heart. It's about changing my heart. Prayer is not about changing God's will. It's about changing my will to his. And as I focus on the promises of God, what he's told us from his word, what he's told us, my heart is redirected in the will of God and strengthened by the Spirit of God to do, to do the work of God. As I pray, faith is released. Faith comes by hearing and hearing that of the Word of God. And so as we remind the Lord, Lord, you said you'd never leave us and forsake us. My eyes tell me you've forsaken me. My body says you've forsaken me. But Lord, you said you wouldn't. And what happens is as I pray, the Spirit begins to do a work in my heart and my heart gets changed from the perspective of, God, you have to, in order for you to be uh, uh, alive and real to me, you have to heal me, to, no, you're with me, even in my pain, like you were with Christ. And our hearts begin to be changed and molded into the image of Christ. Not that God doesn't you know, want to heal some people, but we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But Jacob, he finally resorts to prayer. But that kind of, that's the kind of the problem with Jacob here and, and with me and, and, and often with us is he resorted to prayer. It reminds me of me. I see the potential problem. Then I desire a peaceful solution. Then I panic when that doesn't, is not happening, right? And I make my plan. I'm going to divide my two camps and I'm going to create my strategy. And then I finally pray. Anyone else do this? It's just me, okay? I'm just saying, this is Matt's sermon. I like the quote, prayer is, a prayer is our first resource, not our last resort. And this is our default. It's our fallen nature, even as, as, as Christians, to put the spiritual things last and to work in the temporal. Now, there's the opposite side where we don't, we're, you know, we no, don't even, we never act upon our faith. 
And that has to be addressed as well. But we see Jacob kind of in Martha mode. Let's make it happen. Instead of one thing that's needed first is to, is to wait on the Lord. And it's our default. In, in church, you know, I, I see this pattern happening in my life and, and in our lives. You know, we come to a, a place of, of crisis, like financially. Well, we've, we've kind of, if we work back from that, the very first thing that we do as a church is we pray. We gather together as families. We start praying and asking the Lord, what is, what's going on? And th- instead of making our plans and then praying. And I see this pattern playing out. And so it's a time for us to reconnect to the Lord. You know, and defy our default. You know, I, I think the things we discussed at our, at our meeting, you know, I was asked... I think, I think many of you wanted to know what I thought. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And my heart was totally like Jacob, and that's why I resisted saying, this is what we're going to do. These are the five things that need to happen. Do they need to happen? Yes. And I'm not discounting that whatsoever, but I just feel like in my heart and my mind, I've kind of done the first three here, and I really have not sought the Lord in prayer, and we need to pray together. We need to pray together. Just pray. Spend time together. asking the Lord, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And then let the Lord speak and implement His plan in our church, not man's guided manipulation. And as the Lord speaks through us, through the leadership, and it's not a reaction, it's not a panic, it's not all these things, then we obey and we don't stop obeying until it's done. And that is what our church needs. That is where we are. That is how we're going to be galvanized together. And that's going to, and, and I think Marcus brings the, the part of this that says, we got to be together to do that. We got to spend time together to do that. And that's something the Lord's working in my heart. I'm, I'm a Martha. I'm out there busy, right? Burning, the fires are burning everywhere. But I need to spend time praying together. And so this afternoon is an awesome opportunity. Not a guilt trip, but hey, first Sunday of every month, let's pray. Sun, Sunday mornings, let's pray. And by the way, you know, I, I'm going to talk to the elders on Monday, but I, I want to I gather together in the next few weeks. Yes, it's busy. But we're going to pray for each other. There's things going on in people's lives. They need the Lord to minister to him. We need to hear from the Lord as a church. God, what do you want to do? Where are you going? Pain has been introduced. And we're going to talk about that when God introduces pain. So I want to move on. But this is our default, our fallen tendency to go ahead and see the problem, desire a peaceful solution, and then make our plans and panic, and then finally pray. And Jacob prays an awesome prayer. And I just think, you know, I think worship is part of that too, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But I often get like Jacob, where prayer and fasting and fellowship become an inconvenient last resort. And the Lord is so gracious to teach us and to draw us to the sword of the Spirit and go to work. So Jacob finally prays, but it wasn't the best for his family to put it then. You know the song, uh, What a Friend I Have in Jesus. I love those old uh, hymns and stuff, you know. 
first verse says, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. What truth is that? So things might have gone more smoothly for Jacob and for us, me speaking for myself, if, if he would have prayed first and received the Lord's plan. But he didn't. He prayed a great prayer, but like you and me, look what happens. What does he do after he resorts to prayer and he didn't put prayer first? He goes back to plotting. It's, it's almost like, you know, you see, you see the problem, you're looking for a peaceful solution, then you go ahead and you make your plan, and then you panic because it's not happening the way you want, and then you finally pray, but you're already kind of in the flesh pretty darn good there. And then you kind of go, okay, God, just bless what I'm doing. Will you just go ahead and bless what I, just put your stamp on it? I don't know about you, but that happens. God, I'm kind of going this direction. Just wanted to let you know that you could divinely make me look good. But he resumes plotting, verse 13, and he spent the night there. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 uh, female camels and their, and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. This is a lot of real estate. Okay, he's, I mean, that's like 500 and something head of whatever they are. That's a lot, even in our day. And he put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. I want this gift to come at him in waves. I want it to get better and better and better as it comes at him. He's just going to, I'm going to manipulate his heart to, 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 to show mercy towards me. It's going to be awesome. Anybody ever do that? It's almost like, God bless this. And what I'm about to do, your name, amen. And he instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, hey, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, hey, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He's on his way. He also instructed the second and the third and all the fourth and all the ones who followed. You're to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. He's coming. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending ahead. And later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Maybe if I bribe Esau, he will have mercy upon me. I will manipulate the circumstances in my favor to receive grace, to receive forgiveness, to receive mercy. So Jacob his gifts went on ahead of him, verse 21, but he himself spent the night in the camp. And so Jacob, he turned back up upon uh, himself again. And instead of resting in the Lord and his promises, waiting upon the Lord for deliverance, he took the burden. He took it back on himself. He planned, he plotted, he, he, and we do that often. We pray, and then we, we don't wait on the Lord for his deliverance. We don't wait on his plans. He just immediately started, okay, this is what we're going to do. God must be in it. And did God protect him and guide him in all these things? Yes. But there's going to be fallout from how he does this relationally with his family. 
You're going to see it when Jacob comes, uh, when Joseph comes around. So I can do that often. I can pray and pour out my heart to the Lord and know the promises of God, but I, you know, I get so nervous and I get so anxious that I fall back to, I've got to do something. So I resume plotting instead of hearing from the Lord and then obeying. And I proceed ahead of the Lord and hope God is blessing it and I lose my peace again. And that night, verse 22, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. And this stream, I was looking it up, there's a lot of interesting things. It means emptying. He crossed the stream of emptying. And after he crossed over this river, Jacob's life is never going to be the same. Jacob is going to have a second major crisis in his life. If you remember, uh, 20 years earlier, he had his first encounter with the Lord after running from Esau. And he was running from Esau, and he ran to a place called Luz, which means separated. He was feeling separated from everybody. His circumstances said he was separated. He was in a wilderness, leaving what was from behind him, all he knew, going to a place he did not know. And he fell asleep, and while he slept, God showed him a vision of a ladder with angels ascending and descending, and he woke up to the fact that he was no longer separated with God, that God was with him, he was present, similar to the two-camp situation we just read now, right? He was awakened that God was here, he is present in his circumstance, where he feels separated. No, actually, he was now in the house of God. It was kind of like a conversion experience for Jacob. It had been his parents' religion. And he had grown in, up in it, but he had never personally experienced God. And now he experienced God. And, he's, and he goes in and he starts to worship God, and his life changes at that point. He becomes a different person. He's saved, so to speak. And now, 20 years later, it's a different story. He's no longer separated. He's no longer in Luz. He's now in the house of God. But he wasn't yet sanctified. And that's a Christian word meaning set apart. The flesh is still ruling his life. He's still manipulating circumstances instead of leaning upon his staff, leaning upon trusting the Lord. Anybody experience that? You've been saved. But that flesh dies hard, doesn't it? God desires to sanctify us, to make us like Jesus, to kill us, that old man, and let Christ live in us. How does he do that? I'll show you, well, the scriptures show us a way. 20 years later, Jacob's, he's going to leave with a limp. Verse 23. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till break, daybreak. And this man is the Lord, we will find out later. And when the man, the Lord, saw that he could not overpower him, that is that Jacob was persevering. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm having trouble here. He touched Jacob's socket, his hip, so that his hip was wrenched and he was wrestling with the man. His hip got dislocated. The guy just touched it. Kind of like they were wrestling and he, all night. He was just letting Jacob wrestle. And he's like, man, this guy's not giving up. And then he finally goes, touches his hip, and it dislocates. Now, I don't know anything about the pain that that, that has, but I remember Karen, uh, she's had that. And that is excruciating from what I even saw. 
But Jacob is here, he's wrestling with a dislocated hip. It's excruciating. But the Lord dislocates Jacob's hip. And so Jacob can no longer do what he's used to doing. What does he do when he runs in a difficult circumstance? He runs. He ran away from Jacob, uh, from, from Esau. He ran away from Laban. He can't run from the Lord. He was planning on being in one of those surviving two camps that he devised. Now he can't run. He can't do a thing. Listen, the Lord is purposefully hurting Jacob. The Lord is purposefully hurting him. God is bringing pain into his life. And the Lord is purposefully causing this pain to enter Jacob's body. And as I look at many of your lives, as I look at my life, I can think, God, how can you allow such consistent, constant, excruciating, never-ending pain day after month after year? in the lives of your people. If you are a God of love, why, why is this happening? My concept of God's love is flawed. If I think his purpose is to make me whole here. Sometimes I'll be focused on that and I will miss what God is actually really trying to do. And so we can pray all day and we can talk about these things all day about our bodies and we should because we care for one another. But perhaps God has introduced this into our lives because he desires something greater in us and through us. God is purposefully hurting Jacob. And the Lord said after he caused this pain, Verse 26, then the man said, the Lord, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Hosea 12 has the commentary on this. It says, speaking of Jacob, it says, he struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. Jacob wasn't in a position of strength. He was the one who was penned. Overcaming means he persevered. He didn't give up. He kept holding on. His hip was dislocated. He's on the ground. He's writhing in pain. And he just held on. He held on to him. He said, I'm not leaving until you bless me. Jacob's in great pain and agony. But it was in that pain that Jacob's greatest need for God's blessing came out. As I've been thinking about this, Jacob, he was reduced to the place where all he could do was to hold on to the Lord with everything he had. Jacob couldn't fight anymore. He couldn't hold on. He was not in control of the circumstances. That's not a bad place to be. 
God, I can't manipulate the circumstances here. I can't force you or trick you or deceive you. I just need you. I won't leave until I have you. Bless me. His whole life, Jacob had been seeking the blessing of men, manipulating it out of people, trying to create circumstances to where he received the blessing. But now, through pain and struggling with God, he realizes that all he can do is ask. No manipulation, no deceit, no maneuvering, no posturing, no camouflage, no no way to get what he wants. All he can do is ask. God to bless him. And the Lord replies. What a strange thing. Verse 27. He says, what's your name? What is your name? What a strange response, right? What's your name? It's not as if God forgot who he is wrestling with. Remind me of who, what is he trying to get Jacob to do? Who are you? Remember 20 years earlier when Jacob's dad, stricken with years and, and blindness, he asked Jacob, hey, who are you? What did Jacob say? I am Esau. I'm someone else. God is giving Jacob, he's giving him another chance to make it right this time. I can see right through you, son. I see all of who you are. But it's time for you to tell me who that is. No more camouflage, no more pretending, no being someone else. Talk to me, come clean. What's your name? And he answers, Jacob. Heel catcher, deceiver, trickster. That is who I am. That is who I am. I'm a manipulator. I am... I'm broken through and through. I'm Jacob. I'm going to finally admit who I am. And he comes clean. And the Lord says, verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Your name's going to be governed by God. You're now mine. You see, Jacob was saved, but he wasn't sanctified. He still was running the show. And church, this is what we are headed for in Christ. The cross, it hurts. And God has introduced pain into some of your lives. And we are constantly praying for relief. And God's saying, I'm not giving it up until I get the man. Who are you? And that takes time, friends. The Lord is doing it in my life. And that hopefully should give you some hope. You know? That if God is still using me and working through me, old Jacob here, what about you? He loves you. He's not going to let you go. And the purpose of pain is to get us to come to the Lord and to change, to signal in our lives So, Jacob said, 
please tell me your name. Well, before that, it says, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome, you've struggled with me and overcome. And Jacob said, verse 29, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him. You know who I am. I've been with you all along. Verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it was because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And then the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Listen, friends. It was through pain that Jacob finally was emptied of himself. It was through pain that Jacob realized that he really needed what he really needed could not be coerced from man, but it could only be gained by asking God. It was through pain that Jacob could no longer depend upon himself to figure out everything, but he had to fully lean upon God. It was through pain that Jacob let go of Jacob and he held on to God. Some of us have been walking with the Lord for years. We've had the Bethel experience. We know the Lord, but we've not been subdued by him. We still call the shots. We're still Lord. We are rendered ineffective for his plan for us until we are emptied, that river, emptied of ourselves. And it hurts. It's excruciating. But unless a grain falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce life. The world says, continue to push on and re-strategize and do all this stuff. The Lord says, humble yourself, fall on your face and find life. Come to me. I'm certain that God has brought pain into your life. Not for pain's sake, but because you, because I, because we, we trust in our flesh. We are full of ourselves. We are. So let the lesson of Jacob's struggle lead us to struggle with God and to lean fully upon him for everything. Amen? May his Holy Spirit comfort you and build you and take you from that place of pain to prosperity, not the prosperity gospel, but for his kingdom, for his will, for his purpose, his kingdom, no longer mine. Amen? Lord, we love you and we thank you. And Father, there is a lot of pain in the church. And I thank you that I saw that pain at work in our brother Terry's life, that it was a refining force in his life and sweetness came out. Father, I, I continue to pray that the same thing would happen in all of us. Not that we desire to be in pain, Lord, but we desire to be uh, like Jesus. And Lord, may the cross have its effect upon our bodies, on our lives. May we not just drink the cup and eat the cracker, but may we drink the blood and really eat of the flesh of Christ. That is the breaking of ourselves and the denying of ourselves. And may we follow you. Sanctify us, Lord. Continue to sanctify us. Lord, give us hope in the midst of the pain. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.